Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Revelation. The New Testament book of Revelation and Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation and chapter number 20. We are at the very beginning stages of our series of the Millennial Kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ. And what we've been doing these last couple messages, just doing some preparatory work. Just before we hit the meat of this series, we want to go ahead and and put some preparatory messages. For example, on Sunday morning and Sunday night, we went through some of the book of Daniel to try to understand the framework of the Millennium Kingdom, the framework of God's timeline for the end of the world, for eschatology, the study of last things. And the reason why that is important is because we want to show people from the Bible that our view of the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ, is not in our imagination, but in fact it is scriptural. It is biblical. It is what the Bible says. And tonight we want to again take some preparatory messages, and this is a little bit more instructional, but we have to understand that we are not the only ones who have a view of the millennial kingdom. That there are some other people with differing views concerning the millennial kingdom and that we need to be able to understand what people believe, why they believe it, the results of their belief, and then we need to be able to biblically show people from the Bible why we believe in a literal thousand year reign of Christ upon this earth. And so if you don't mind, turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 20. And this is going to be a passage that you are going to become very, very intimate with, very familiar with in the upcoming weeks as we go through this series. But turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation 20, and notice with me in verse number 1. Revelation 20 and verse number 1, the word of God says this. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having a key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid a hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him up a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the debt, second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And if you're in the 
rather marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that is said repeatedly in these seven verses? I believe six times in these seven verses. Notice with me in verse number two where it says a thousand years. Once again, in verse three, it says a thousand years. At the end of verse four, it says a thousand years. In verse number five, it says a thousand years. And verse number six, it says a thousand years. In verse number seven, a thousand years. And with the Lord's help, we want to do a preparatory message dealing with this idea of the millennial. And I want to explain three views of the millennial. Three views of the millennium. Three views of the millennium dealing with the idea of the millennium kingdom of Christ. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. Thank you so much that you've given us your word. And that you said what you meant and meant what you said. That you are a God who knows exactly how to communicate properly what you mean. And I'm asking that you would just help us tonight to strengthen our faith in the word of God. Strengthen our faith in what you said. And then strengthen our faith in what we believe from the word of God according to what the Bible says. I'm asking that you would just give us spiritual discernment to see these different views and to see what happens, what caused them, uh, where they entail, and that we would be people who could biblically defend what we believe and why we believe it. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we open up the Word of God, we could see that several times... In this chapter that God says a thousand years. Remember when we study the thousand year reign of Christ. We often call that the millennial kingdom. A thousand years means a millennial. And that when we deal with the idea of end things. That we know that there are different people. Who have various opinions of what happens in last days. Concerning the things of our future. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to examine three different views concerning the millennial kingdom. Three different views concerning what we call the thousand year reign of Christ. The first view we're going to examine is what is called post-millennialism. Post-millennial. Remember the word post is a... (laughs) Is a prefix that means after. So these would be people who believe that Jesus Christ is coming after the millennial is up. After the thousand years is up. This is a view, a theology, a belief that is called post-millennial. Now the tenets of post-millennial, this view, is that they believe that through the preaching of the gospel, that they're going to see so many people get saved. And as the people get saved, that it is going to bring such a change in society that finally when enough people get saved, when everyone hears the gospel, everyone turns righteous, then when we brought in perfection, then Jesus Christ is going to come back. And so their idea is that they, the Christians, believers, will usher in 
Jesus Christ coming. That we are preparing the way of the king. And that when the kingdom is all prepared, Jesus Christ is going to come back to receive the kingdom that has been prepared for him. Now, this is what those folks believe. Now, this is not what the Bible teaches, and we'll get into this later. But this was a common belief, especially in the later 1800s. In the 1800s, that was a great time for Christianity. It was a great time for missions that through England especially, missions were going all around the world. That you have the great uh, evangelist of that time. You have Charles Spurgeon who's preaching in London. You have D.L. Moody who is preaching out of Chicago throughout the world. You have R.A. Torrey who started Bible colleges and took three... um, continents and shook them for the Lord. You had Charles Finney who brought around the second great awakening inside of our country. You have um, William Carey who was the great man for missions who says <coughs> says that we're supposed to try by faith. You have uh, people like um, the great orphanage guy uh, George Mueller who literally prayed in millions of dollars for orphanages. And then most people don't realize that after he was done with the orphanages as an old man, 70 years old, he went to the mission field. Think about that. 70 years old and say, you know what? I think I'm going to the mission field now after spending all your life working with orphanage. This was a great time. And as Queen Victoria was in charge. This is why we call it the Victorian age. Who was a queen, a monarch in England who was saved and believed that simply that people should live good. And so it was a great time in this world. Missions were going out. Billy Sunday's preaching. You have a lot of things going on. And people believed during the late 1800s, they they were believing in post-millennialism, that they believed that if they get enough people saved and enough revivals were going on, that what would happen is that once everyone has heard the gospel, everyone's had the opportunity, Jesus Christ would come back. But some problems hit. Something called World War I. And World War II. And as World War I and World War II hit Europe and spread through the rest of the world, most of the people realized that this world was not getting better. And so post-millennial, as a belief, kind of died, especially during World War II. And so right now, most people would not buy into the post-millennialism. They don't believe that we're ushering the kingdom. In fact, as we look at the newspapers today, we could all say with assurity, our world is getting worse and worse and worse. It is not getting better, and it is not bringing in a perfect time for the kingdom to come. Now, this is still an important teaching because the results of post-millennialism still are effect today in something called the social gospel. Now, whereas many of the Christians would not believe in post-millennialism, the idea of a social gospel has spread around. The idea of a social gospel is that Christians need to, uh, forgive this word, force Christian ethics and belief upon the world. And that they have the idea that Christians, because of who we are, because of the good life that we live, should be involved in social causes. That we should be involved in injustices and trying to right injustices. And so these are good folks. They're not bad folks. That's why it's hard to preach against them. But these are good folks that says what we should be doing is that we should be raising up money to send medicine to all the starving kids in Africa. 
These are the people that said, what we need to do is get as many homeless shelters and we need to put them up. We need to have a food pantry and feed everyone that's hungry. That we need to go ahead and take care of all these inequalities. It's not right what's happening to the African American folks. That we need to rise up and we need to support those causes. And this is the idea of a social gospel is that it is the effects of the post-millennialism view without the idea that we're bringing in the kingdom, but it is the idea that we as Christians are supposed to make the world better and better by our, our causes, by what we pitch into. Now, that sounds great, and people like me get, get yelled at because of this reason, that's not what God told us to do. That God has given one job to the church, and that is to accomplish the Great Commission. God did not give us the responsibility of taking care of the homeless problem. God did not take, give us the responsibility to make sure that everyone is equal within society. God did not give us the responsibility to free the slaves. If you remember the New Testament, that in the Roman Empire, 75% of the population were slaves. Now, I'm not defending slavery. Slavery is an abomination in every culture and every time. But God did not send the New Testament to go tell the Christians to go free the slaves. That wasn't their job. That wasn't the responsibility. Now, am I against those things? No, those are good things. However, there are secular organizations that do a much better job than churches can. Our responsibility is to deliver the gospel to every creature. And this is what God has given us to do. And again, people said, but they're doing good things. Why would you say something bad about it? I'm not trying to. The problem is, is that Satan loves to distract us. And that the good is the enemy of the best. That Christians, our choice is not between the good and the bad. That most of you are not desiring that after you leave church here, you're going to go across the, uh, the parking lot to the bar over here and say, church was good, now let's go to the bar. You're not choosing between the good and the bad. The problem that we have is choosing between the good and the best. And the best is the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. The best is obeying what God has given us to do as an organization, as a church. Now, let me also back up. I did say that the churches do not have the responsibility of feeding the hungry and doing all this stuff. But if we're doing it for the purpose of being able to give them the gospel. Now we're using this as a tool. To do what God has given us to do. And so if we have a food pantry. We're glad to have a food pantry. For the purpose of every person that comes through. We're trying to tell, uh, tell them about Jesus Christ. That if we do have a clothes closet sometime, and that we're able to provide clothes to those who don't have it, that we're glad to as long as we're able to tell the gospel to every person. If for some reason God led us to do a soup kitchen, we'd be glad to do it as long as we're able to present the gospel to every person that comes. That those things are not an end to themselves. They are tools we use to accomplish what God has given us to do, which is the Great Commission. We have to understand that the social gospel, the social issues is not the goal. The goal is accomplishing the Great Commission. And this is where a lot of 
evangelical Christians, new evangelical Christians are, are brought with, that they're distracted, and that's what Satan is doing, is distracting them with good things so that they are neglecting the best things, which is accomplishing the Great Commission in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is some of the effects of the teaching of post-millennialism, the idea that for them, especially in the late 1800s, that they were to change the world to bring in the king to come inherit his kingdom. A second view of the millennial, not only is there post-millennialism, there's the idea, idea of awe millennialism. Awe millennialism. All they do is put the A in front of it. Remember that in the English language, whenever you put the A in front of something, that it makes it the opposite. For example, the word muse means to think. Amused means you're not thinking. The literal idea of it. With the idea of the millennial, that means the thousand year, all millennialism has the idea that there is not a literal reign of Jesus Christ. That there is no millennialism. This is the idea that these people do not believe in a literal 1,000 year reign of Christ on this earth. They believe that all the passages dealing with the millennial kingdom should be treated as spiritual interpretation instead of a literal interpretation. This would be the stance of the Roman Catholic Church. That the Roman Catholic Church believes that they are the reign of Christ on this earth. That Jesus Christ is coming again, but he's coming to destroy the world. But the, the Roman Catholic Church is the reign, the kingdom of God on this earth. And this has been the stance of the Roman Catholic Church, oh, since about Augustine. Augustine was the great teacher. If you ever go through history and you read about Augustine, you go ahead and mark it down in your mind, this is a bad guy. Even though he's touted as a hero and a church father, he is a bad guy. That it was Augustine who developed the Roman Catholic theology, the Roman Catholic philosophy, the Roman Catholic views. And it was Augustine who was the first person to really verbalize denying the thousand year reign of Christ. And this is the idea that the, the, um, that the all millennialists have, especially for those of the, the um, Roman Catholic Church, that they are the kingdom of God here on this earth. And that the Roman Catholic Church in their mind is the literal fulfillment of the thousand year reign of Christ. That it is them. And for them they've been here for 2,000 years. and Or less than that 1,500 years. But they said we're, we're holding the line for Christ. And when Jesus Christ comes back. It, we, we've done what we're supposed to. We, we've been putting that together. And that is the view of all millennial. That they believe that Jesus Christ is not literally coming back. Which would bring us to the third view. And what my personal view is, according to the word of God, which is the pre-millennial view of Jesus Christ. That we believe that Jesus Christ is coming back before the thousand year reign of Christ. That we would believe, according to the Bible, and I'll show it to you in just a bit, that Jesus Christ will return literally and physically on this earth 
and will reign on this earth for a literal 1,000 years. Now, this comes when you take a literal interpretation of the Word of God. What do I mean by that? That we believe that the Bible literally means what it says. And that even with the figurative language, language, we take it literal. For example, let me give you an example of figurative language. That if you said someone is as happy as a lark, what is the literal idea? They are happy. So what's the literal interpretation I get out of that statement? They are happy. Okay, so we take things literal as much as possible, even understanding that figurative language is getting across a literal meaning, right? And so <laughs> they are as sly as a fox. Does that mean that someone's a fox? No, we're just using pictorial language to get across a point that this person is sly, he's sneaky, he's subtle. Does that make sense? And so we are people who take the Bible and we believe the Bible is literal. You see, we're crazy people that believe in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. What do I literally mean? What do I believe because of a literal interpretation? That God literally made the heaven and the earth. I'm one of those crazy people who believe the Bible is true. You see, it comes from a view that I believe that God says what he means and means what he says. I do not believe that God ever has a senior moment. Has there ever been a moment where you knew what you wanted to say, but you can't pull the word out? You know what it is, and you can't. God never has those moments. When it says, let there be light, God didn't scratch his head and said, what I want is kind of a bright, shiny thing. I don't know what to call it. And just God said, let there be light. And there was light. You see, our God is smart enough to say what he means and to mean what he says. Let's examine what we believe by the millennial kingdom. Look with me in the book of Revelation chapter 20. And as we do here, we're going to do a sing-along, meaning that I'm going to pause and I want you to fill in the two words that are next as we read the book of Revelation chapter 20. All right, so make sure that you guys are all going to say it loud and with me together. Revelation chapter 20 verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in in his hand, and he laid a hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him up. How long? A years. And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more until how long? should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, nor had received his mark upon their forehead, or in their hands, and they lived in with Christ, and lived and reigned with Christ, how long? But the rest of the dead live not again until how long? We're finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such that the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ. And shall reign with him how long? And when the how long? Are expired. 
Now, notice this, that all these times in seven verses, God says a thousand years, a thousand years. Now, again, I believe that our God is smart enough to know exactly what he meant. He did not mean a spiritual thousand years. He meant a literal thousand years. And he meant it literal so much that he repeated himself several times. So that way we would understand that he meant it. A thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years. And so we do believe, according to the Bible, and by the way, this is not a New Testament doctrine, but this is an entire Bible, that you can show premillennialism, the idea that Jesus Christ is coming back before the thousand-year reign throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. That this is a major Bible doctrine. In fact, that there are more passages dedicated to the millennial kingdom in the word of God. More than any other subject except for the tabernacle temple. That there are more passages dedicated to the millennium kingdom than any other subject. That means as we go through the Old Testament, you could see the millennial kingdom. As you go through the New Testament, you could see the millennial kingdom. This is a literal biblical doctrine. If you don't mind, may I show you some more things? I want to show you. This idea of the millennial kingdom. And I want to show it to you with the idea that why we believe in a premillennial view that Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to rule in a literal, physical, earthly thousand year reign. If you don't mind, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter number one. Acts in chapter number one. In Acts chapter number 1, Jesus Christ has already went to the cross at Calvary. He's died for your sins and mine. He rose from the grave on the third day. And for 40 years, or sorry, 40 days, he spends time with his disciples, teaching them and preparing him for his ascension. Finally, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus Christ takes his disciples, he goes to the Mount of Olivets, gives them some last minute instructions, and then something amazing happened. Verse number 9, if you don't mind, Acts chapter 1 verse 9, and when he, that's Jesus, had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received them out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. So what happens is that the disciples are with Jesus. Jesus gives them some last minute instructions. By the way, the last minute instructions was the Great Commission. Then Jesus stretched out his hands and he went up in the air. Now, if you were there, you would do the same thing that the disciples did. You would watch Jesus and keep watching him until he disappears in the cloud. And then you'll keep watching You see him yet? Is he coming down? Where's he at? What's going? They're all looking up in the sky, just looking up the clouds. You would be doing the same thing. That's an amazing thing to watch someone just take off in the air, just float up. And they're watching and they're looking. And they'd be there looking up still today if it wasn't for these two angels that walked beside him in verse number 11, which said also, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go to heaven. Now, they said a couple powerful things in this. First of all, as they watched Jesus go up, they said, this same Jesus. So, 
when Jesus Christ comes back, which Jesus is coming back? The same exact one that died on the cross. The same one that the disciples just got through talking to. That same Jesus is the one that's coming back. That we're not getting a replacement Jesus. We're not getting Jesus Jr. or Jesus the Third or some descendants. We're getting the, that same exact Jesus. We're not getting the clone. We're getting that same one. Now notice this in verse 11. Which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Now, it said the same way in like manner that you saw him go up, he's also coming down. So let's ask some questions. Did he go up physically? So guess what? He's coming back physically. So... Is he, did he go up literally? Or was that just some poetical language that he just floated up? No, he went up. He went up into the sky. They were looking for him. And guess what? He is coming back literally. He's not coming back spiritually. He's coming back literally. Did he go up physically? We said that. It means he's coming back physically. So literally and physically, Jesus Christ is coming back. Just in like manner. In fact, we even know where he's coming back to. Notice with me in the book of Zechariah, chapter number 14. The book of Zechariah, that's in the Old Testament. Zechariah, chapter 14. So, if you find Matthew. So, if you're at Acts, turn backwards. Acts, John, Luke, Mark, Matthew, Malachi, Zechariah. Zechariah, chapter 14. And notice with me in verse number 4. Zechariah 14. And notice with me in verse number 4. Zechariah 14, 4. And his, this is talking about Jesus. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west. And shall be a great valley. Half the mountain shall remove towards the north. And half it should, should be moved to the south. That we know exactly where he's going to land at. The same place, by the way. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives talking to his disciples. He takes off. Guess where he's landing? The same exact spot. He's coming back in like manner. Physically, literally, and in the same spot. And when he comes down, he is landing down. And the whole Mount of Olives is going to split into two. That's coming back pretty literally, isn't it? If it's going to break down mountains. And it's going to break in two. So again, we're seeing a literal, physical return of Jesus Christ. We know the Bible says over and over, a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years. May I show a little bit more about the literal, physical uh, view that Jesus Christ is coming back? 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. Now, I'm not showing you all the passages. I'm just showing you a good number of proof text just to kind of back up the idea that it is not my imagination. 
I literally believe Jesus Christ is coming back in his body and he will be here for a thousand years. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and notice with me in verse 13, we know that Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back literally. He's coming back physically. We know where he's coming back at, that he's coming at the Mount of Olives, which is the east of Jerusalem. But notice with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 13. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. That guess what? His saints are coming with him. That Jesus Christ isn't coming back. But he's coming back with all of his saints. So again. Is this the imaginary friends that I have? That Jesus is coming back in someone's imagination. And he's bringing his imaginary friends with him. He's bringing back real people. They're coming back with him. That is literal. That is physical. It's not going to be a mass hysteria that, hey, guys, we're seeing all these ghosts coming out. That's a pretty spiritual. This is a literal and physical event. Notice with me in the book of Revelation, chapter number one. The book of Revelation, chapter number one. In Revelation, chapter number one, and notice with me, verse seven. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Behold, he cometh, that's Jesus, cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. Now, let me tell you, if every eye on the earth at that time shall see him, is that spiritual? Or is that literal? Physical? If every eye can see him, there's got to be something to see. Jesus Christ is coming back in a physical, literal way. Notice with me in the book of Matthew, the gospel record of Matthew, chapter 25. I could turn to tons of passages, but I'm just turning just to a couple more. In fact, we're in our last chapter, and I will show you just a couple verses in this last chapter. Matthew 25. What we're doing is I'm just establishing in this um, preparatory message that there are three different views of the millennial kingdom. There are some people who believed in the past that we're supposed to prepare the kingdom for Jesus Christ coming, and he's coming at the very end of the age. There are some people who deny the millennial kingdom, believing instead that they should look at the Bible and all the millennial kingdom passages as spiritual instead of a literal interpretation. They believe that you need to spiritualize these texts. And then there's crazy people like us who believe that Jesus Christ is coming back physically. He's coming back literally. He's coming back in his body. We could say where he's coming from, where he's landing at, and that he's bringing the saints with him. Notice with me in Matthew chapter number 25. Notice with me in verse 31. Matthew 25 and verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. We see that Jesus Christ, when he comes back, he's going to sit on his throne. By the way, we even know where his throne's going to be at. That Jerusalem is going to be the center of all the government of the world at the time. And there's plenty of passages that teach that. That Jesus Christ, he's coming back literally to rule. And he's going to rule from Jerusalem. He is going to sit on a throne. And for 1,000 years, Jesus Christ is going to rule 
the earth. This is why we call it the millennial kingdom. It's going to be King Jesus. And Jesus is going to reign on this earth for a thousand years. Notice with me in verse number 32. 25, 32, the next verse. And before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another. As a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. What we see here is that all nations shall be gathered before him. And he will judge them. Is this going to be a spiritual judging? No, he's literally going to judge the nations. He's going to judge the people. He's going to separate them out from the believers and non-believers. He's going to separate them when he comes down. He is going to rule on this earth. Now again, this is just some passages. But there's many more that help support the idea. We believe in a literal thousand year reign of Christ where Jesus Christ the son of God will come back on this earth literally physically bodily and he is going to rule this earth for a thousand years and the upcoming messages we're going to get to the nuts and bolts of this millennial kingdom explaining more about the people of the millennial kingdom the government of the millennial kingdom the prisoner of the millennial kingdom the environment the uh, the conditions we're going to talk about so much But now what we're doing is just trying to explain, bringing up the framework, just to let you know where we stand right at the beginning, we believe Jesus Christ is coming back. Now, a lot of this is information. You say, so what? Well, I'm glad you asked. One last verse, Matthew 25, you're already in the chapter. Notice with me in verse 13. Matthew 25 and verse 13. The Bible says, watch therefore... For ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. What we mean by this is that Jesus Christ could come back at any time. There are no more signs and wonders for Jesus to call his saints home. And then after that, the seven years of tribulation, and then Jesus Christ is coming back to start the millennial kingdom. But the next event on God's calendar is the rapture. There's no more signs and wonders that need to be lined up. The planets don't need to be aligned. No country needs to rise up. There's no more things that need to be there. Jesus Christ could come back at any time. At any time. And one of the things as we talk about the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ, remember that I said at the beginning that God has one purpose for the church and that is to accomplish the great commission. And we are going to be judged according to how well we obeyed, how well we accomplished the one thing that God gave us to do. That we will not uh, be (laughs) held accountable for the social causes as much as we are for the idea Have we been telling people about the Lord? Have we been discipling people about the Lord? The idea of the social gospel sometimes gives the people the misnomer that if I just live a Christian life, that someone will come up running up to me and say, man, I've been watching your life. You must be a Christian. Tell me how to get saved. No, it's always a confrontational. We must tell people on purpose how to come to know the Lord. And we're going to stand before God and give an account. And we're going to receive rewards or lack of rewards based off of how well we obeyed the Lord in accomplishing the Great Commission. That this is an important thing. And that we have the opportunity, not everyone will, but we will have the opportunity to rule and reign with Christ he'll be the boss and that we get to rule with him but it's based off of our performance now 
And the reason why we bring up that watch therefore for you know not whether the day or the hour wherewithin the Son of Man cometh. You don't know when he comes. For example, if a child is given a list from their parents that you're supposed to do all of these things, if you know when mom's coming home, guess when you start doing the work? Right before she gets home. If we knew when Jesus Christ was coming back, we'd say, oh, I got plenty of time. And I could just get the work done. I got plenty of time. I do it whenever. I do it right before he gets back. But if Jesus Christ could come back at any time, that means we need to be found faithful. We need to be doing our job now because we don't know. If you knew that you only had one day left on this earth, what would you do with that day? Would you take a small day beside the pool? Or would you go try to tell all the people that you love how they know, how they can know for sure that their sins are forgiven? We don't know when Jesus Christ can come. He may come before I'm done with this message. And some of you are saying, please, Lord, come quickly. Jesus Christ is coming back. We just don't know when. We don't have any time to waste because it's coming back. It could be sooner than what we expect. We need to be busy about our father's business because he is coming back. And he's coming back literally. He's coming back physically. And he's coming back to rule and reign for a thousand years. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.